Just One Thing is a podcast with both feet firmly placed in the world of events and the creative industries. Presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate, where industry trailblazers write a letter to their younger selves. And consider what wise words of advice they would give themselves now, if only they could. Our discussion is all based on this letter. Be prepared for refreshingly honest conversations and words of wisdom. Our guest on this episode is Jem Bonacera, Global Events Director at Charlotte Tilbury Beauty, where she leads a global team creating aspirational events around the world. Formerly Global Head of Experiences at Soho House and Global Director of Events for Burberry, Jen has 15 years experience in luxury fashion and lifestyle. She's honed her skills delivering an enormous variety of events from red carpet parties, world-class runway shows, in-store events and VIP brand experiences on the global stage. Jen makes her own luck by working hard and having fun and says there is so much beauty and so much learning in all the small moments of life. We are delighted to have her with us. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thank you so much. Big welcome. I've <laughs> loved watching your face as you hear the introduction. It's quite awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, gosh, that sounds lovely. I can, I can be your hype woman anytime, <laughs> yeah. let me know. I'm available. I know, thanks. You man. don't know whether to say thank you or flick your hair and own it. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Both. <laughs> both. How was it? So, so you you heard the introduction. Yeah. How was the mm. the experience? We say of writing to the letters. You know, the whole premise of this conversation is based on the letter you wrote to your eighteen year old self. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Actually, I say enjoyed it. It's like therapy. I really, I think I had a few, a couple of weeks to prep for it, and I kept thinking, oh, I'll put that in. Oh, that was quite a big moment, and I had like notes on my phone writing it, and then it was really good. I put my daughter down uh, for a nap one day and I was like right I'm just gonna write it and like the house was quiet and I was I actually cried a lot writing it um yeah I think it was really it's it's the only or first time that you ever look back and reflect on those years but also when you see it all kind of chronologically you see the journey that you've come on or you I, I guess there are moments where you think, oh, that was a really like painful or difficult time or maybe I was in a job that I wasn't loving or grown out of or all those things and you realise, you know, that's that phrase, like you're exactly where you're meant to be and you look at it chronologically and I'm like, if I hadn't have done that, it wouldn't have led to this. And da, da. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a really great process and um, I think I probably learned about myself looking back on it as well. Mm. Yeah. I think as a, we touched on this before, didn't we, the... The forced, not forced, you did it at will. <laughs> the encouraged, should we say, opportunity to stop and just reflect. Yeah. Everything is so much about looking forward. People yes. just don't have, and, and I can't remember the last time I did, or when was the last time you did, actually look back at your achievements or career and reflect it properly. Yeah, we're also busy looking at what's next and the next yeah. thing and the next horizon. You forget sometimes to see how far yeah. you've come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But before we dive too much in, because we will obviously spend the podcast talking about the letter and the, the learnings and the insights that you've had and some of your reflections, it'd be great to tell our listeners a little bit about you, where you're from, a little bit about your backgrounds and what your role entails. Yes. So, I grew up in, I was actually born in Paris, um, but no, I'm not fashionable I'm, even at Paris. I know, <laughs> so chic. Um, no, I, I, we were there with my, my dad's job, but um, I felt like, I feel like there's sort of this European, like, I don't know, quite creative, like semi-nomadic, like back in the 80s when my parents would have moved there and no one spoke English and 
it would have been a really difficult time, I suppose, for them. But um, so, yeah, I was born in Paris, but then we moved back to um, Hertfordshire. I grew up on the border of Hertfordshire and Essex in a town called Bishop Stortford, which a lot of people know because it's near Stamford Airport. <laughs> but um, yeah, great little, great little town. Um, grew up in um, a Catholic family so, and I'm one of three. I'm the middle child. Um, so at times it was probably a f fairly traditional upbringing um, and definitely as a kind of middle child I had an older brother who's 18 months older than me and we were very close and only one year apart so a lot of our kind of growth and milestones were were similar um, and I have a, a sister who's three years younger than me and now I mean we've always been but now like really best friends with my sister and she's been a big inspiration as well with my life but um so one of three, grew up in Bishop Stortford um, from a kind of relatively big family, big family on my dad's side. He's the, he's a kind of Catholic influence, one of five, like big bustling family, big characters in our family, which is um, amazing. And always like Christmas time was like a big moment and seeing everyone was really lively, like full house kind of thing. And we always, I think as a family, like even we were a family unit of five, there was always this feeling of like, you know, a couple of days after Christmas, there was this like big family gang together. Um, my mum's family's a bit smaller, but from the Midlands, um, I'm really close as well to my cousin. We're like a month apart. So, you know, all those milestones as children and as cousins, we could relate to a lot. So had a lovely um, family upbringing and, and fun um, childhood, lots of memories of like a lot of play between the three of us and like, you know, going to the park, being outside a lot. Um, yeah, really fun. So kind of grew up in, um, I suppose it's grown a lot now. It felt like a big town only because I was little then. But um, going back, it's funny, isn't it? Like everything feels like it should be bigger, you know, and especially now I'm in London. Like, <laughs> um, and then went to an all girls school for secondary school and have some um, great friends and like, uh, you know, pals from secondary school. But went to a mixed sixth form, which was amazing. That's when I like met my real like core girls who are like, you know, lifelong friends. Um, always quite creative, um, sporty, did lots of um, sport outside, as I said, a lot. Like um, drama was a big influence and music. My mum's really musical. So um, we grew up with like music in the house, playing musical instruments, acting, dance. I did all different kinds of dance. Like there was like hobbies every night of the week, that kind of that kind of life. <laughs> um, which I suppose led me on to um wanting to study drama. Um and in but always um quite academic and quite hardworking at the same time. Um so I explored the option of going to drama school and actually ended up looking at university so I could carry on a bit of both. Um, and ended up at Loughborough Uni. And I remember it was one of the first, it was the only uni I went to like on my own. I didn't go with a parent to go and visit. So I just went to the day, open day or whatever they were on, on my own and literally loved it. Got on this bus from the station with all the students. So I felt like I was kind of a student and got off the complete other end of the campus just because I was like following this gang of students, like where are they going? <laughs> The drama department was the other end of the campus, but um, it was amazing and like sport everywhere. And like, it was a bit of a, an awakening thinking I was really sporty, played at like county level at school. And they were, the first thing they ask you is like, when did you play for GB? I was like, I'm in the wrong room. Oh. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not many unis better than Loughborough yeah, in terms of sports, loved it. right? It's... Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was great. It was really good fun. Like, um, I think there's a moment actually in the letter where I talk about being kind of feeling like you're a big fish in a small pond in your hometown and like go to uni and 
you're a you're in a very big pond <laughs> so it was a good it was a learning curve into like the real world really um where was I up to? So left uni, um, studied drama and English literature at uni, but much more on the kind of drama side, really, performance. And then gave the kind of acting thing a go in London. Um, and it, I enjoy the auditioning processes that you go through are brutal. Uh, but weirdly, I kind of enjoyed it. But I had this, um, I had these moments. I remember like one of my memories. I can't remember which drama school I was in, auditioning for at the time. And I made really good friends with a girl in the room. We got on really well. We were really similar. Talked about all of our life and how we ended up at this point. And then it kind of got to the point where you stood up and ready to do like the dance audition. And she's next to me. And you realise you're actually competing against each other. And I, and I think it was a, it's a prominent memory for me because it probably made me realize like I'm an empath basically and I I, re I love to connect with people and I get on with you know hopefully with most people and I, I really struggled with that like then that balance to feel like oh god if it's me or you I want it and what if it, but I also want you to get it so maybe you know it was that kind of that competitiveness I think I really struggled with but actually after a few rounds of it and I really enjoyed that process and it was definitely worth me doing it because it then made me really hone in on what I really loved from like performing and live performances and being around an audience which I guess led me into the path of doing events which is where my entire career is spanned so I worked initially um at Coots I did an internship there which was well it was meant to be a two-week temp like work experience and I was there for like a year in the end um, but really good fun and um, that was through um somebody from uni who knew a good friend from uni who knew someone there um, and then just honestly, like graft, like wrote to loads of companies. I spoke to a lady who ran this huge um, charity day event in the city. And I, the reason I even got in contact with her is because I saw this event photographed on the front page of the Metro newspaper in London. And, you know, you just like put your CV out there and go and meet as many people as possible. And did lots of things in my spare time as well to just um, feel like I was adding to that kind of industry try and meet as many people as possible so I ended up at this place called ICAP which weirdly is where I met my now husband but at the time we met he was on a grad scheme and I was uh, you know just a regular old employee but we met then and it was really nice because it was a kind of group of us that were like similar age basically got on really well and probably looking back there was always an element of chemistry between us but um I was with someone at the time and um, he was single, but nothing really ever, you know, nothing came of it. And I remember when we left, when I left the company, I remember we were sort of like, don't really know what, if we can stay in touch really. And it all kind of came out that maybe there was something more going on. But it was really nice recognising that as well in the letter because we sort of, there's a moment where in life we basically were re introduced sort of to each other there was a re-meet <laughs> and that's a, like a total right time right place right person that kind of moment um so loved my time there absolutely loved it and worked with an amazing um lady who actually probably is is a bit of a mentor to me looking back and like learnt a lot of the ropes through her um and then what happened after that oh this there was this was probably the first moment that I thought I, I had to probably have a bit of confidence in myself and my own skill, but also my own determination that something was going to be coming around the corner. And I'd been at the company about five years. 
And I think I thought it's just worth a gamble at this stage. You know, at that point, you don't have any major responsibilities, no kids or anything like that, no mortgage. Like, is it worth a risk to try and see what else there is out there? So I quit and didn't have another job to go to, was trying to hustle. Hustle is like a good word for like those years. Um, non-stop hustle. Um, what, what drove you, sorry to interrupt, what yeah. drove you to a point then of leaving? I know that you said it was yeah. an amazing time and things like that. Not that yeah. I'm fishing. there was a moment. To, to leave without yeah. something to go to. I remember having a chat with my boss at the time, Nikki, who I said is, is you know, a bit of a, a mentor of those years. And she, it was it's one of these things where we were like, I loved my job. I loved the company. I loved what we were doing, but I wasn't learning necessarily anything new and you know they say if you're if you're either learning or you're earning and it was that point where I was like don't think I'm learning anything more and how do I get to that next step that next ring on the ladder and she was very honest and and I think sort of said there is such a thing in career in business I suppose where you can reach a bit of a ceiling in your role and actually the company can't facilitate any further growth for you but Mm. being told that as like a 25 year old it was a big learning curve because I was a bit like I'm ready for the next thing. Are you going to promote me? I can do this, this and this. And actually the nature of it was, this is the role, this you've sort of got to reach the ceiling of it. And it was good learning because it kind of forced me to go, even though I love this, nothing's gone wrong, but I'm ready for the next thing. And it was, I think it was actually probably a very lovely, honest piece of advice from her as well to say, you know, we don't want to lose you, but time maybe it's time for something different and it's so important isn't it in life we we hear this a lot like when's the right time to move and how do you yeah. know and actually I think a lot of people stay in roles for a long time because they love the company or the people they yeah. get comfortable and then you're yeah there so long you think well if I've been here five years can I do anything else you almost become a little bit institutionalized yeah but having that sense of awareness and like you say yes. it's such a good life lesson because there will be roles in your career that you come into that are perfect for that moment yeah and then you outgrow them and it's having the courage to say mm. yeah I need a new challenge new thing yeah yeah the the other thing with that as well yeah it was that kind of self-awareness I think for me as well I knew that I I was loving doing events and how I was it but there was something about aligning it more to like my passions and my natural instincts which I've really started to focus and hone in on fashion at that point because I was like I want to be doing this and this same skill set that I've got I want to be doing it in a remit that I'm super excited about and proud about and can shout about and um I so I when I left without anything to go to I I thought I'll give a bit freelancing a go good to kind of mix up and go agency side for a bit and Mm. did a stint and that was really fun like basically added a lot more variety I suppose to my CV and learning curve um and then I had met a, a recruiter during that process and out of the blue she called me and said I think I want to put you forward for a job but you're definitely the wild card but I'm going to put for you forward anyway. And it was the job at Burberry, basically. And I went for this interview and I remember thinking, I am out of my depth here. But there was just something in me. I like, you know, you can do it. But what was it's the role just, at Burberry? The role at the time, I'm trying to remember what my title would have been. It was just, it was before, it was, it was before I stepped into the global director role. It was probably like a, a head of or a senior manager, global senior manager, mm. same team, but that kind of, you know, you're you're running full projects for this brand and um this small little unknown brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, I met the lady who then became my my then boss, um, Emma Jane, who had been there for years. Um, and 
I think we just clicked, I guess. And we, and I think there was something probably about um, the team that she was managing that you work on some very intense projects in fashion and things move extremely quickly. Mm -hmm. And the people are so important. It was like your attitude to work, how you work, how you work with other people. So I think it was, I mean, certainly from my perspective, if I look back, there was more engagement in that moment about how I'm going to fit into a team and fit into the brand was as valuable as like what was written on my CV. Mm. And I think people miss that a lot. I yeah. think about the interviews that I've I've been interviewing for and been interviewed for and it, there is such a double yes. sort of focus because you could be the best person on paper but if you're not going to fit into the team, it's not good for yeah. the individual or the Yeah, team. totally, yeah. yeah. So I remember I kind of walked back over the, there on Horseferry Road by the bridge, I walked over the bridge and by the time I'd got to the other side of the bridge, I'd had a call saying, can I come back? I was like, I'm on my way to work. But came back later that day, um, hours later, and met. It was about th- I was sat in a room and it was like a revolving door. Like the CMO came in and the her right-hand guy came in. Someone else came in, met everybody. And the next morning I was off the job. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I definitely, I got a feel and a sense for that place. And the years that I had at Burberry, so I was there just just under five years. And the learning curve that I went through during those years was like phenomenal. I had half of my career was under the creative direction of Christopher Bailey. And then the second half was under Ricardo Tichy. Completely different creative directors and their vision for the brand. There was like an enormous amount of kind of heritage and a legacy with Christopher. And then we were we were literally blank sheet of paper. What do we do now with under a different creative director? And like such a good learning curve to not become complacent things that we were like we do this every year just because this is what Burberry does we literally tore up the rule book and started again which again for for me and I in 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 that um era I had then um progressed on to becoming the director role so I was then heading up the team my predecessor had left and they've gone to set up their own agency and so I was under completely different guidance different vision it was such an amazing learning curve um but yeah, I mean, what a brand. Like, I loved it and um, only have, like, the most amazing fond memories of there, even though I'm sure, like, the day-to-day was, you know, the hard graft. But, but you know, we used to do, we had this um, space, we used to call it a war room prior to running show, and it was, like, two weeks of show prep. And you were literally in this room around the clock. And so it's the the importance of the people around you and that chemistry of that space is completely crucial. But lots of my, I mean, I'm really blessed that I've got an amazing network of ex-colleagues who have all gone on to do phenomenal things and working at incredible brands but all of us if if you ever kind of bump into each other there's that moment where we all say there was something really magic about those years in that specific era with those people Mm. um that you would probably struggle to recreate Mm. again and we did incredible things like we would sit around a table and brainstorm about something and the next week we were planning it you know like Mm. it was a it was really um really really brilliant time um but I guess, yeah, so I, I sort of finished uh, to the end of that time. It had gotten to a place where I probably felt like we were, it was semi, we were going into another year and it would be, or another season and it could potentially become a little bit like Groundhog Day. And I think having gone through this entire like transition for my remit within the entire brand, I was ready to take all of that skill and learning and take it somewhere else. And during that time, for about six months on and off, I'd been speaking to Soho House, various different roles. And this kind of, it felt like there was this kind of courting going on between the two of us. And 
I remember I'd just delivered an event. We'd just done a tour of an event where we'd gone from London, Beijing, New York, and I landed at Terminal 5 waiting for my bag. My phone rang and um, it was a friend of mine, also uh, coincidentally ex-Burberry, who was at Soho House, said, we're sat at Farmhouse, we're talking about a new role. It would be a global head of experience, brand experiences. I've just said, I think it's Jen and they want to see you tomorrow. So it was, and it was just like perfect timing, you know, like I think I was probably having those thoughts and this opportunity came up and on paper, this role was, it's like the dream job, mm -hmm. blank sheet. We want to take the essence of what lives between the four, world, four walls rather of Soho House and the incredible like creative essence that is just very special for that brand and their members and we want to take it outside of our houses and take it all around the world and do incredible like wellness retreats and festivals and um, parties, collaborations, part like basically take what we're doing really well and take it global in a, in outside of that what space. A brief. Mm. Actually, the brief was we want to do house festival, but in LA. And I was like, I think it's this, <laughs> <laughs> and kind of get created that brief, I suppose, um, with them. Um, so it was really, really exciting and a brand new chapter and a chance to build a team. And, and I knew the kind of nuts and bolts and exactly how to do that through what I'd learned at Burberry. And we'd done everything from like, you know, the show to parties to br huge brand um, collaborations, at touring exhibitions. I was like, I, I'm, I can do this for this brand. Anyway, as luck would have it, that was like November 2019 and six months around the corner, obviously. Mm. covid hit um and my my job was brand new we hadn't tested it we'd got a whole plan for the year mapped out it involved bringing loads of people together <laughs> and a lot of travel and obviously all perfect of that for that, those years <laughs> like the perfect storm <laughs> overnight it all disappeared so i was gutted i won't lie and and i'd left a job at burberry with you know really kind of high esteem and i i gained a lot of my own self purpose and identity I suppose from my role at Burberry and then I was in this completely new remit I'd got the green light to go and like obviously the entire universe was saying no you gotta so how did sit you navigate that period because it's interesting because obviously every guest we've had on the podcast so yeah. far, you can't not talk about those yeah years. I know but it's interesting to hear how did you navigate something like that because your your situation is quite unique in that yeah. brand new job big global remit blank sheet of paper everyone's super excited left a job that you loved yeah how, how did you what's what tools I guess is the question I yeah. want to ask and how did you yeah find your way through that I mean it was awful I won't lie like yeah I think when you're in it you're just going like oh it's making me feel emotional you're like moving sorry that's all right okay. take a moment you're all good <laughs> um take your time sorry <clears throat> I think in all honesty you um <clears throat> you really like I think you hit rock bottom, really. Um, during that time as well, I'd met my um, my my now husband, my and we were engaged. And oh, I remember I'd lost. I think there was a week where it was like the news was kind of escalating every day, and it was it would have been like a Tuesday, and this is 
pretty bad. Everyone's getting sent home from the office to the Wednesday. This is like doubled inside. The magnitude got more and more. The, by the Pretty much by the Friday, I was like, I think this is going to end. Uh, the job was going to end. And not even like furlough. It was more like we don't even know when this is going to stop. So mm -hmm. lost the job. By the Monday, the wedding was cancelled. So it was like within a very intense period of time. Because you just naturally as well, because I'm in events, you kind of pivot. No worries. Mm. I've lost my job. I'll plan the wedding. It will definitely be done by June. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh, mm. how foolish. Like, And then it got cancelled. No worries. I'll replan it for October. All the supplies. Read mm. it. Lock in a new day. A couple of months later, it gets cancelled again. And, it, and the, more, the more it went on, I think the more it forced me to go, this isn't going anywhere. You've literally got to just sit on your ass in your four, you know in these four walls of your flat and you just have to sit still and wait for this to pass and it was it was awful honestly I'm not going to sugarcoat it mm. and I found it very isolating and Elliot my husband was in a job where he was classified as a key worker so he was out his routine didn't change at all he was out the door every day and I remember he would leave in the morning and it would literally be like take everything in me to, and I'd, believe, I'd pretty much be counting down the hours before he came home mm. for company for yeah it was pretty you know I really um and a bit, a bit of resentment there as well because he got to go out and yeah probably and see, and see and people and live a bit and, yeah, yeah and chat to people well, and, and like, wouldn't have known is how great a training that was for having a baby a few years later yes oh my gosh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, it was really hard. The, the The biggest thing that helped me through it for sure was, and I'm, I appreciate how like I was in a very privileged position to even be able to do this, is I was speaking to a therapist at the time. And we had just started because when I left Burberry, it was quite a brutal exit from Burberry, I won't lie. I had a different manager at the time and the exit was handled really badly and you I kind of felt like I'd been like spat out the other end you know mm. so I actually started speaking to a, a therapist a couple of months it was like uh the very end of 2019 so I was already in the process of like learning about myself and learning about why these things like affected me so much and then yeah the therapist was like a real lifeline during that time and I, I amped up my therapy and that was also probably quite it made everything probably even more intense. Like I was going through a heavy therapy mm. and I, I couldn't do anything to get out. And, to, you know, the most you could do is go for a walk and stretch your legs and grab a coffee. And it was just really, really tough. It was just no, none of us should exist like that. And certainly for me, I'm a people person and I, I get a lot of my An energy. Right? I think so. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I also really value my own time and my own space, but... I definitely get my energy from other people. So I was, yeah, I found it really hard. Um, I tried to define a routine, which, you know, <laughs> there's like no motivation really for that. You know, what was amazing is that I had a little Vespa, which I'd been riding for about a year. And I would some days be like, you know, because it was beautiful weather as well. Mm, and it was yeah. amazing. So you're wearing a helmet. <laughs> I wasn't next to anyone. We had no contact, but I could be out. And it wasn't just like, doing the normal lap of a local park that I would do every day. It was like I could get out. I went up to the river. I'd scoot around London. It was dead. It was brilliant. And it was like that, That probably my Vespa and my therapist <laughs> and my husband and a lot of rosé were lifelines. Yeah. And this is the thing. I think a lot of people sh have sugarcoated those difficult moments in their time. Or Oh, my God, it was actually, awful. But actually, everybody, it doesn't matter how it looks on the outside, there's a moment in everyone's life where... Yeah. 
there's a thing that causes them to yeah. need additional support or need additional mm. help and there's no shame or difficulty in that. But no, it's just oh making gosh. sure you get the help you need in whatever form that comes. And for yeah. you, it was a Vespa, a therapist and Rosa. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect well, combination. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> what a summer. Before we yeah. get on to <clears throat> the last part, I suppose, which is Tilbury, but yeah. prior to that, the way that you've explained your career mm. seems amazing in the sense of fortune and timing mm. and natural and all the rest of it mm. your letter unlike any and i mentioned this before yeah is the opposite of what you've just explained <laughs> polar opposite you did mention yeah. work once yeah and i'm not saying that's a bad thing in any way shape or form because we were talking just before this as well and actually it, it's far more about the emotional journey and things like that that you've been on personally in terms of the last mm, mm-hmm. 15 years or so which I thought was really interesting so I wanted to ask yeah it is almost like what you've described here is the swan yeah this beautiful <laughs> career Gosh, of, you it just know, happened yeah and underneath there's yeah. some other stuff going on yeah one of the things you mentioned is about the anxiety piece and, mm. and things like that there's some really tough times in there yeah not to detract from the swan side of things, because the CV is yes. on fire, looks amazing. I just want to, I suppose, if you can relate it in terms of those roles or those career points and, and equally what you were going through or what was what was happening. Yeah. And the journey went on from that side in terms of the growth or how you managed it or, yes. or overcame yeah. it or dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it is probably interesting that I didn't talk so much about my career in the letter, which actually I've, I'm quite proud of myself that that's where my headspace is now because I definitely, through those tough years, A, I didn't know it was anxiety and that was a big thing to learn about, to even know that that was a thing. Probably there was an element of being depressed in there. And these years started from when? I mean, kind of yes. earlier career or...? Um, I honestly think I was probably a little bit of an anxious person from a young age. That kind of like people-pleasing element, um, you know... So, but I think the 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 bigger stuff started to happen. It started exactly when I started at Burberry, not because of Burberry, but because of completely like personal re- reasons. Um, but just quickly to say about the letter, I, I think it is surprising I didn't talk about the career because I definitely during those years struggled with feeling like my only sense of self and identity was if I was attached to a big title at a big shiny brand. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is that now, obviously, I've talked about this letter and all the big, big stuff is actually it's all about my life and who I am and like the people in it. And um, not that it's more or less important because it's all just life, isn't it? But that's that is an interesting observation. Um, but yeah, so I think all the, the anxiety and the struggles um, mentally really started around Burberry. So I was with I was in a relationship, a long term relationship since um the middle of uni met someone at uni and we had the most incredible relationship and went through you kind of grow up together really Mm, when you meet someone that young we met we met when I was 19 and I was with him for 10 years in total and um really close but my whole world was wrapped up in his world we had the same group of friends Mm. a huge like brimming social life in London had an incredible group of friends but there was something in me that I, when I got the job at Burberry, there was something in me that was felt like I, I was going on a slightly different path and it, and maybe we had slightly different kind of focus of energies or almost like what we wanted from our lives were maybe going to be looking a little bit different is how I started to sense things. 
And this thought basically just wasn't going away. And it was a very like gut feeling that something wasn't feeling right with how I felt in that relationship and who I was. And I started to feel like I was almost feeling like I had, I, I had over the period of like many years molded myself to fit into this life that we thought we'd always have. And um, I started Burberry and we basically had a big chat to say how I was feeling, which after many years and we lived together and everything else was huge. And my entire life was wrapped up with this person. Like, so it was for me, I was like, am I going to essentially completely uproots of my entire life a bit that that moment where I quit my job with no other plan to mm. go to it was that again um two days later and I this was my second week at Burberry and we were in the middle of show prep in a September show I'd never done it before it was you know fucking intense but brilliant but intense we found out that he had um cancer he was diagnosed with cancer and he was um, I guess he was about 29 and I was 27, 28. And um, it was, I just remember thinking, like, I just didn't know how to process it. And you just go into like day by day appointments, etc. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was pretty severe. And he had to have an operation within two weeks. I then had to sort of tell my, my manager, like who I did barely knew, mm -hmm. like this huge thing had happened. So after we did the show in September, I don't think anyone really knew at work. I basically sort of was off for two weeks whilst he had an operation and then was in um, hospital for a couple of weeks. Had my, um, his mother like staying at our flat and I was sleeping on the sofa. I was also in a very intense job that I wanted to like prove myself mm -hmm. and felt like I'd got to this point. So I'd get, get up to the hospital at like 7am in the morning, kind of get my makeup you know bedside with him the nurses were so lovely they'd come in and bring me a cup of tea morning Jen and like Marmite on toast I remember every day it was so sweet so I'd, I'd had this like weird weird few months where it was this weird routine of like survival basically go dashing up there breakfast see him do a full intense day of work go back to the hospital spent all evening there I was accommodating like friends who were messaging seeing when they could come and see him I remember my best friend Perry coming and sitting with me in the waiting room and she was like, and I said, oh, you can go and you can go and see him if you want. And he, she was like, no, I'm, I'm here to see you and I've bought you dinner. And we sat and had like M&S food, you know, and had a big cry and whatever. And we sat there and I walked her back to the station and she said, just don't feel trapped, you know? Mm. I'm going to get emotional again. Um... And I think that's how I felt. Sorry. It's okay. I think I felt um, worried that I'd wake up in another 10 years time and I'd wondered, I would be wondering how I got there, you know? But it felt so monumental to break up something in this situation you'd almost rather go through the motion and keep everyone happy than mm. put yourself first is how it felt. Um, and during, uh, we then found out he needed to have chemo afterwards. So again, like my, I guess what I was, my timeline was like, um, really put on hold all of it. And um, so I think that year, my anxiety must have like skyrocketed really. And 
no one I think I threw myself into work so no one would have known hopefully at the time um and then we came out the other end and he proposed and I remember thinking we must be stronger than ever this must be happening for a reason mm. I must still be with him for this reason let's give it a go maybe this will fix everything da, da, da. and this feeling just wouldn't go away and it was just this and it's also really hard when nothing's gone wrong. There was nothing. There was no reason to blame. To, yeah. yeah, I wanted something to blame. I was looking for things to go wrong to be like it's because of that, and it wasn't. And um, anyway, obviously, many months passed, and it got to a point where I thought it was literally eating me alive. I felt like I was I was living almost like a double life. It was really strange, and that wasn't fair on me or him. And we had had the most incredible like 10 year relationship, gone through this incredible thing together. Um, and I remember my dad saying, I think you need to say it out loud, Jen, like you need to practice what you're going to say when nothing's gone wrong. How do you put that into words? Mm. Anyway, I don't know. Somehow we both managed to navigate it as gracefully as we can uh, or could rather. Um, but it was really hard. Like I didn't hear from any of those friends literally ever again. And that's like your 10 year friendship and mm. every, all of your mates and your entire social life and where you live and where you, how Bit you. Of an identity piece associated. Yeah, like every holiday. I was like, who am I going to hang out with? Who do I go on holiday with? <laughs> anyway, obviously it's the magnitude of it in your brain is like way worse mm. because actually I had all these brilliant friends from uni and everything else who I, I'm not joking where in the letter I think I describe it as like they they brought me back from the dead like I was I've the, the amount of like anxiety and pain and guilt the guilt oh my gosh like indescribable mm. but to that feeling to feel like you should be putting yourself first when actually probably for years even since being a child like I mentioned I was a middle child like I probably never put myself first. I was the peacemaker, you know, from birth, basically. <laughs> um, so it, it just felt very alien to me. And that um, a lot of like the kind of advice that I've, I've kind of been trying to tell my when writing the letter to my 18 year old self was to to the, there was a phrase my, my therapist used to say about owning your own gold and you've got to like own you, you know no one's going to own it for mm. you and like she used to say just keep like polishing your own gold Jen and like that metaphor for like taking up space in your own life and being and um, we uh, we've called it before like that main character energy like you've got to be the leading lady in your own yeah. life allowing you know? yourself to be the priority exactly it was a real I don't think I'd ever really done that before ever and what's interesting in the letter when you read it is you get this real sense of grit and determination yeah and you mentioned like writing letters to companies and putting yeah. yourself out there and, and putting yourself in places where I think a lot of people would step away and say, that's too far out my comfort zone or that's uncomfortable. Going for the job in Burberry, I mean, I yeah. had a great piece of advice from an old boss who used to say, you should be able to do 80% of it, but if 20% doesn't scare the absolute oh, yeah. insert whatever yeah. word out yeah. of you, it's probably not for you. Yeah, mm. You feel like somebody that's got that grit and determination, but also that gut instinct that yeah. even if it's a quiet nudging yes. that goes, actually, we need this isn't quite right, I yeah. need to go somewhere else. So how much do you think those skills have developed over time and how much do yeah. they play a role in the sorts of decisions that you're making now? Yeah, now I feel like I'm super aware of it now because it's guided me on those big, big decisions which have only ended in positive outcomes. And like, even though the period of time might be incredibly tough, 
there even at that time I knew a weight had been lifted and I knew there was something in me that was like I'm prepared to you know be lonely and you know be on my own or whatever it would take for like a long time in order to prioritize something within me so now I think I really trust my gut instinct and Mm. I also I think I'm learning that if I have an emotional response to something like a guttural it's um it feels true you know like there's truth in whatever I'm doing so actually if it feels right I'll often feel emotional about something you know but that's also me being an empath <laughs> but there's also an interesting fact with it in that you went down the kind of the, the I'll say amdram that's offensive yeah, the yeah. drama and the, yeah. the the performing arts route yes yeah. um we've had I think 10 people on this podcast three of which were also very much of the yeah. same performing arts and yeah. Things like that. Do you feel like the, obviously there's an element of performance and, you know, being an extrovert or putting on a, a mask or, or, you know, or what would be mm. a character and a role and things that helped in the process or? Yeah, it may think, have done actually. Because I think that, that, and the reason why I'm referencing it in terms of that, not facade, but the ability to almost puff up and yeah. inflate your confidence, even if it's not necessarily yes. real at that time. Yeah. That, role or that kind of persona or character yeah what was weird is that that you know I was saying it almost felt like I was living this sort of double life the kind whilst um my my um, boyfriend at the time was in hospital and everything I'd almost like put on that like the role that Mm. you're playing and Mm. put your game face on and go into work and that like gets you through those those hours at work whatever I also think it's dangerous though because Mm. I think I was probably doing that to such an extent. And there is also another memory that sprung to me when I was writing the letter where um, on my way, I remember just needing to like get through the front door and I knew I was just going to break down on the other half of, on the other side of it. So you feel like you're kind of, I was sort of living with a slight facade Mm. to hold me up in the day. And that is just survival Mm. when you're going through, you know, these feelings of like real anxiety and, not really even, I couldn't articulate it. That was the thing. And having gone through therapy, you can put words to these things, which really help now. But at the time I just felt like I was drowning. And I remember this feeling of like, I just need to get to the door, get to the door, get to the front door and closing the door and literally collapsing behind it. And I think, so there's, there's probably danger in like, there's, it gives you the tools to be able to put on the front and get through the day. But at the same time, you don't want it to start defining you and you not know, you know, to deal with, the stuff that's going on deep down, know really. who the real self is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do yeah. you talk a little bit in your letter as well about this love of live moments? And yeah, I, I think not wanting to put words in your mouth, but that interesting link between drama and live moments and performance, and actually the industry that we live yeah. in. So, do you think the eighteen-year-old year at drama school would be surprised at where you've ended up and the now. things that you're doing now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think if I could tell 18-year-old Jen, you'd have, you know, you'd have ended up doing five years. You'll be the global director of events at Burberry. You'll travel the world with that. You'll be doing runway shows. Then you're going to go and do your own thing. Then you're going to end up at this incredible, like, beauty brand now, you know, like, household name. Um, you'll be married with a kid. You, you bought a house together. I'd be like, are you joking? Like, it's literally, you know that phrase, like you feel like you're, that would have been like the dream for me at that age. I'm now like, I am, I need to realise like I'm living the dream. I'm living mm. what my dream was really when you recognise it. And um, yeah, I definitely would be surprised. Um, she, she never would have even like 
entertain the fact that I'd have ended up at Burberry, for sure. And do you think the skills you learnt there, I mean, we've obviously talked about some of the pros and cons of being able to put on a game face and things, but do you mm. think the skills from your education have played a role in the way that you've conducted yourself in your career? Yeah, more than, yeah, more than anything, really. I think, um, I think just even, like, school and being part of like social clubs and throwing myself into anything and you know kind of giving anything a bit of a go like mm. I think that attitude and again like what you how you're brought up and like my parents encouraging that and my um, sister is now an actor and I see like what she has to go through and, and graft like you know every few months they're in a show and then it goes again like it's such an inspiration to like that keep going my brother's a carpenter but he's a real kind of nomad, has a real like nomadic lifestyle and left London down in Cornwall now and traveling the world. He's in Brazil. At the, you know, like there's a real like zest for life and mm. like mm. you get it, you know, yeah, it is the grit and the openness. And like, I remember when I, when I came out of the back of my relate breakup, I was like, I'm just going to say yes to everything this year. I'm going to do everything and just mm. throw myself in. <laughs> and I remember being like, I'm going to spend all my money. I'm not going <laughs> to spend a penny, but I'm going to have one hell of a year. Um, so yeah, probably that attitude would, would have been no doubt shaped at school and like the opportunities given to me, yeah. What would you say to anyone and I know most females of, of kind of younger years aspiring into beauty, fashion, that, that industry, my wife's in the beauty side as well. Hence, yeah. My knowledge of uh, yeah. Yeah, makeup is, is yeah. The blusher he's wearing today is from <laughs> I know, I know, Gorgeous. seamless. Yeah. Contouring, I'll do a video of that later on YouTube. Um, but in terms of the advice that you'd give a younger, probably a little bit older, entering kind of the 20s, early yeah. 20s, things like that, that, that would dream to do that global events role at Burberry as an example. And we'll talk yeah. about Charlotte Tilbury in, in a mo as well. But what would you say, or having done it for five years and knowing the, mm. you know, and I know that that pace that you talk about yeah. and you know there's a number of people behind you ready to take your role if it doesn't work yeah, out otherwise exactly. there's a bit of a pressure as well yeah what would you say to those individuals as to how to get there or, or what what advice would you give them I suppose if that's their aspirations yeah I think there's I think there's um there's something I always think if I like interview someone of I'm recruiting where you feel like you can't buy and you can't necessarily even teach the right attitude like you can teach like skills and you can mold someone into like how we do things at this company. But the attitude of someone you can't really buy. You've got to have that like that hunger and that eagerness and the willingness to just go for it. I'll do any task. I'm going to learn from this. And um, I think is, is something that I would really encourage, uh, you know, that kind of younger generation for. Because there's such a different, I think entering the workplace now is completely different as a landscape to to how we entered. And um, uh, yeah, I just, I think there's that attitude to just be hungry for something and to, um, believe in yourself, but also just know that there are people there who can offer an enormous amount of like guidance and wisdom and you're going to learn and be a bit of a sponge, you know, mm. like any meeting you're in, you're going to, you won't necessarily realize it, but you're learning from people around you and how the meetings are conducted and how we make decisions and, leading on things and leading on projects or um strategic decisions like all of that I think there's just an openness and an awareness that mm. um I'd I think there's that yeah attitudinal piece that you just you can't really buy but I think 
in terms of advice like um I hope I hope more there's you know a, a, another generation where we all want to see positive change in in all, in all industries and like to benefit our big beautiful world as well you know like and have that in your forefront and I think that's where the next generation are going to be tell, teaching us a lot of stuff actually mm. um mm. and um I th yeah I'm excited to see what what will be coming in the next few years mm. I guess for these you, big brands you mentioned there are a couple of points around that sponge and and mm. you know taking advice and things like that on that journey um you mentioned was it the Nikki from ICAP yeah who else has been influential and, and obviously the mentor link and, and yeah. obviously what Elevate do as well, but yeah. who are the key people that have, have acted as your mentors or that you've seen as, as kind of support and guidance and or help shape your journey? Yeah. I'm probably going to, you know, forget some like really key people as well because I feel like I've had lots of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tags below. Else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would say from from that kind of like young, those like impressionable years, um, Nikki at ICAP and then Emma Jane at Burberry, definitely I learned a lot from her and just, you know, how she ran events and how she conducted, which I definitely, you know, learned a lot from her there. Um I'd probably, I, I would definitely put my husband as in that category as well. Like, and his, he has this like energy for life. And, it, you know, on a Saturday morning, if he's not already achieved like 15 things, like he's absolutely thrilled. But, you know, like, <laughs> just that pace, like he is, he is on it beyond belief. Like it's, so I think he's, he's definitely been a mentor, definitely also from a personal perspective to put myself first. He's been like a real champion and like a cheerleader of me, of my, mm. of mine rather, sorry. Um, I'd put my sister into that category. I also think not as a mentor, but definitely as a kind of role model. I had two very strong grandmothers. Um, I have very close to my mum's mum and she was a real, you know, just uh, her life and the hardship she went through. She, I would put her as a role model mentor. My um, granny on my dad's side, um, my little girl Lily is Lily B because my granny was called Barbara, but we all called her B. So named a little bit of a nod to her as well. So they, I think I've had really strong like women in my life, you know, and that I've learned a lot from. And I think hopefully I can, you know, be a bit of a role model to others in years to come as well. Mm. There's a couple of questions before we get to the question. Yeah. But talking about role models and, and powerful role models, obviously in the kind of roles you've been in and now as a mum. Yes. What kind of role model do you hope to be? Oh, yeah. Or try to be in your role to those people coming up behind you? Yeah. I definitely had... Um, yeah, great question, Mel. <laughs> Here are <we>. no, <laughs> I I definitely had a... Um, a thing about coming off the back of COVID and then looking about what would come next for my career. And at the same time, we, um, I think I was, would have been pregnant at the time. We had Lily in June, 2021. She arrived, she was premature two months early. So that, like, you know, was another curveball. But I definitely, while I was pregnant, I definitely thought about what kind of role model and like mother figure I wanted to be for Lily. I knew I was having a girl as well. And one of the things was like, I love my I love my work and I'll always really embrace having a career and, and having that. And I knew I wanted her to see what it was to have this, you know, kind of um, hardworking mom. And like we live in London with this like incredible pace and um, it's important to like take stock and take breathers in that. And I want I felt like I needed a creative outlet. And actually, very recently, I, I've just launched a little side hustle like a little passion project Ooh, tell us more yeah and it is kind of for this reason actually because 
Um, I really would love to see in, in the years where Lily's growing up that she, there's almost like this kind of creative sanctuary that I have as an outlet for my work. So I love my work and I, I'm obviously a, a global director of events at Charlotte Tilbury at the moment. And the lovely thing about working for any brands is that you're, you're able to explore with trends and you mm. can capitalize and jump on them. And creatively that gives you a lot of um, new energy that comes up and new briefs that come up at work. But, but to take the essence of like how I, how I run events and my vision that I think you only gain through having worked at big luxury brands and how the expectation of how we present those brands to the world. There's something really special about that kind of skill set, which I found was really missing in actually in the bridal industry. So I basically... <laughs> long story short, launched this little side hustle to essentially um, give, it's like a consultancy, but I'm going to be working with um, couples on doing kind of wedding planning, styling and design. And it's just as a creative outlet for me and doing something personal for me. But it was definitely born out of this kind of what role model and creative space would I love Lily to be able to see as she grows up. And I, I, I've got a bit of a bigger vision for it one day, one year when it's ready. But um, I'm just excited to just have something of my own. And I think I felt really ready to own something. And I saw a gap in this market, which I hope will really resonate with um, lots of different people and what they want their special moments to, you know, in life to be, be it a wedding day or some other event. But um, just something that I can nurture and grow like on the side. And I think that really as a role model for my little girl, I would love to see that she sees mum doing something for herself and it feels creative and she, and it feels playful and she can see the work I'm doing mm. as well. I think that would be important for her. No, I love that. Yeah. And so with you now and, and how long have you been at Charlotte Tilbury? Um, actually only six and a half months, quite a, relatively early days. It's a brand new remit for the company. So um, there's been a lot of like navigating how do we embed it you know, kind of effectively within the business and haven't yet kind of recruited a team or anything, but just, yeah, kind of embedding the, uh, learning the ropes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with it and, and obviously where you've been in that conversation point we had where if you'd seen yourself 18 to now, you'd be amazed and almost completed it kind of thing. Yeah. Where are you at now in terms of, still as hungry as ever and, and, yeah. and where's what's I say next? where's next yeah yeah what's next well I mentioned obviously I've launched this um little side hustle it's like a little passion project so it's called the bond studio and I hope that will be um just something that starts to slowly grow and build as my own kind of personal creative outlet um but I think for me I just I want to just have a really kind of open heart to whatever's coming next. I think the big thing for me is that I know as Lily gets older, she's going to need a different, I'm going to need to give her more of my time in a different way. I want to be a re I want to be a really available mum to her. And when she starts school, that means hours and, you know, capabilities during your work week are different. She's at daycare at the moment. So, you know, there's kind of longer hours while she's being looked after, but I think probably over the next few years, there'll be a bit of a transition where I want to remain really, really available to her. Um, 
And also just see where this takes me at Charlotte Tilbury, like where this role's going to grow. As I say, it's a brand new remit for the brand. It's a growing brand. They're thriving. Like mm. we've got some really exciting launches happening this year, which, you know, in events, that's like mega to have like that much newness to play with every year. So I think in the immediate future, I'm really happy in the place we are, but I'm sure long term it will look a little bit different purely because I want to have a bit more time with my family, I guess. Mm. Um, but I'll, I'll always, I can't imagine a world where I'm not working in some capacity or consulting or like, you know, work in, I need a creative space and to have that. And it's a, it's a little piece for me, you know. Um, so yeah, hopefully that, I don't know is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got a crystal ball on the table yeah. and exactly what's happening. <laughs> Sounds good, but I don't know. Where's the ambition behind that? I think that appetite to keep kind of building yeah. and growing. yeah. Or to kind of actually enjoy what you have to a point about the the relationship with Lily changing things yeah. like that. So and she and you know anyone who has children, but even just observing kids, they like they just exist fully in the present, and that has been such a big learning curve. She's mm. only two, so for the last two years, that's it's really brought me into that headspace, and that's why I think maybe I'm not planning too far. Yeah, I don't have that like huge trajectory because I'm really appreciating where I am now and. Um, and that also has only come from a lot of kind of work on myself and and just trying to appreciate, the, mm. you know, the time we've got and all the little moments. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings us nicely <laughs> to the question. Yes, the question. Um, which um, we love this because you've got four brilliant pieces of advice, <laughs> which we've touched on through it. But the question is, what's one piece of advice that's so good or so bad that you have to share it? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a metaphor, but mine is to drive in the middle of the road and honk the damn horn. Tell us so, more. Yeah, <laughs> it is a metaphor. It was actually, it was when I was learning to ride my Vespa and I kept like, I remember my husband being behind me and he was like, Jen, drive in the middle of the road. You need to take up space. Like the other cars need to know you're here. And I kept sort of veering towards like the cycle lane. <laughs> like wanted to almost be a bit hidden, let everyone drive past me. And I remember I couldn't, if anyone would, you know, in what it's like in London, it's pretty wild on the roads and people cut you up and they're very surprised to see a female driving <laughs> and not, you know, to be a kind of delivery driver. And, and um, I had to get used to like honking the horn. I had to get used to hearing noise coming like from me and if that makes sense as You're a metaphor. The loud yeah. Noise. Yeah. yeah. And I remember my husband, Elliot, would say to me, right, on your way to work today, your challenge is to honk the horn three times even if you don't have a reason, you have to honk it three times. I'd be like, okay. And like someone would cut you up and I'd be like, beep, beep, you know, like tiny little horn. And then there'd be, and gradually over time, I'm like driving in the middle of the road, honk my horn at anything. Like, don't, you know, I'm here basically. Road I'm not a road rage. <laughs> <laughs> bit of road raging, bit of weaving, you know, probably other drivers hate. But as a metaphor, I think for life, it's that like take up more space in the road and like, you know, you're here and like own it. And I, I would be the kind of person that if someone jumped in front of me in the queue, I'd be like, oh, that's annoying, but never mind, you know. And now I'm like, excuse me, mm. <laughs> I'm here. Mm. <laughs> so it's a bit of a metaphor, but I think that's my that's my um, piece of advice. Yeah, so, I love it. I think yeah. it's really good. You had a couple of other bits <laughs> yes. that you mentioned. I think they're worth kind of bringing up. Can you remember what those were? The other phrases, yeah. yeah. I had... Um, I had... Own your own gold, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. 
I think a, a phrase that always I talk about with a lot of my friends as well is we say like this too shall pass. You know, that's quite a well-known phrase, but Especially I re- when you have a child. Yeah, yes. <laughs> this too Mine shall is they past. they shall go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the <laughs> exactly. But it's good. It kind of, you know, comp- compartmentalizes it. Um, this too shall pass. And courage, dear heart. That's another phrase that I love. And that's just more of like a self-encouragement. Actually, I have a courage tattooed on my arm here just as a reminder because it's like a, yeah, just having courage and going for things and taking the risks. Um, I think, can I, I can't remember if I had any others. No, that was sad, it. The sadness. Oh my gosh, oh. the sadness. <laughs> Which one was that? The... Um, it's more of a, it's more of a phrasing thing. So I learned, it was really recently someone told me the story, but apparently the Irish have a way of describing feeling, their feelings. And they'll say, for example, sadness is upon me. And I really love, I love it as a way of expressing emotions because you know that feeling where you do feel sad, but it will pass, but you're not defined by it. And I think, I think had I have known that back in those years where I was, you know, I will go so far as to say I was probably having a bit of suffering from a bit of depression and definitely a lot of anxiety. If I could, I also am a visual learner. So visualizing that and not being defined by it, like I'm still there as a separate entity. Mm. I think it, I think it's just a really nice way of expressing Mm emotion our emotions yeah really visual way yeah i think so yeah brilliant yeah thank you so much for for sharing and (laughs) the honesty and transparency and everything that went with the letter it was really really for the emotions you don't need to apologize because that's exactly what this is this is the real you and that's why we appreciate it and you sharing so thank thank you you. thank Thank you you so much. much i loved it thank you for having me Although Jen apologised for it, I love that she got emotional and we were just reflecting on it um, between ourselves, but just how life is messy and there's big stuff and no one gets to heady heights of careers or to the age that we all are without experiencing stuff and life stuff. And that comes in lots of different forms, but her ability to, I guess thrive in spite of it and and but also recognize where she needs help and support and to pull on the skills that she's learned the people that she's got but also knows when to seek extra support but just what a career as well and and she said herself many people would look at her and just assume it's been easy and this perfect linear trajectory to the top and it's been brilliant to see under the bonnet of that I think with Jen she is authentic we use that word quite a bit but to to get upset on a couple of occasions but the openness willing to share of the heartache and challenges in that respect when on LinkedIn or the CV it's this picture perfect career to an extent of of early progression and that confidence with the you know that that ability to land these massive roles straight off the bat as these wild cards I think the reality is there is always stuff going on underneath that and at that time of the biggest role of her life was the biggest challenge of her life from a personal perspective, you know, and, and I think it, and, and the good thing about Jen is, is normalizing the need for support and, and getting it both from therapy, friends, mentors, things like that is that I think in isolation, you know, life is really hard. And I think it demonstrates that, you know, even in some of the best of times, it can also be some of the worst of times behind closed doors. But also I love Jen's positivity and energy and passion. I think that's one of the things that I love about our industry. And when you see people, you, you would assume somebody in Jen's position with the roles that she's done 
you've either become cynical or you've lost your passion or you've got comfortable or, you know, you've seen it all, done it all. And I'm sure she has literally seen it all and done it all. Yeah. But yet that hunger and drive to still do more and explore more and, and explore her own creativity in different ways and to continue learning and growing. And I think that's something I really respect and admire in Jen, but in people in general is that sense of, I've still got stuff to learn. I've still got stuff to give and do. And I love watching her come alive in the way that she animated and for anyone that's watching this on YouTube or, you know, the way that, how animated she is when she talks about her work and the love of it and that that hasn't faded and that really came across as well. Yeah. And then wrapping up with her piece of advice where oh. I think that <laughs> premise of, of, you know, owning your lane or, or staying in the middle of the road, owning your space and and, 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 and beeping your horn and, and being heard, I think is great. And, you know, that I think for her is the bit that's enabled her to enjoy her work more and enjoy and have the confidence to do things for herself more as I think everyone should do and, and definitely polish your own gold as she said <laughs> so amazing one and probably one of the most emotional and heartfelt conversations we've had definitely they're, they're, I mean we've said this a lot but I think that's the beauty of the podcast isn't it there's so much gold in there I'm not surprised she had four on five and six and there's probably we, we were joking afterwards that there's a whole other podcast episode in her but yeah, that, that sense of taking up your space and being unashamedly taking up your space, but also, you know, I loved the sense of polishing your own gold and owning your worth. And I think talking about role models for Jen, I think she's a great role model and a great ambassador for those kind of things. Cause I think in particular for women, there's a lot of shying away and I love, she's proudly in the middle of the lane beeping a horn. As should we all. Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters. See the show notes to find out more about them. Together, we're changing lives, careers and the events industry for the better. Our producer is Peter Kerwood and our sound and mix engineer is Matteo Margarellio.